A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Every year, I fly between Asia and America several times, and the time difference, the jet lag, really bother me. Sometimes I need to sleep twenty hours straight to recover my energy. If you are someone need to fly across time zones quite a lot, either for fun or for business trips. What can you do to really help yourself regain your energy as soon as possible? So when you land, you're ready to go. You're ready to present to deliver the work you need to do. Today, I have Dr. Dan Blom, a sleep psychologist who was also trained in Stanford Sleep Center several years before me. He explained to us how adjusting our diet timing, our fasting timing, can actually help with jet lag. I was like, "Whoa, this is something I definitely gonna try next time I fly across the countries." Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. I'm your host Ishan. Let's find out together what Dr. Blom gonna share with us. Welcome, Dr. Blum. Thank you. Hi. Hey. So I know you are a sleep specialist. You treat a lot of sleep disorders, especially、uh, insomnia, and you are a psychologist. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me.、Uh, my name is Dr. Daniel Jin Blum, and I'm a sleep psychologist. So I focus and specialize in non-medication strategies for improving sleep.、Uh, I focus on treating insomnia and circadian rhythm disorders. I run a private practice,、uh, all by telemedicine, and I'm also on the adjunct clinical faculty at Stanford in the Sleep Center. Yeah, very cool. We have to find the time to talk about your practice, telemedicine practice, which is very popular right now under <laughs> under COVID.、Um, but also, I know you are doing a lot of research and clinical work regarding some、uh, very current, very new field in the sleep medicine. For example, for myself, when I travel back to China or when I travel to another country, how to shift my circadian rhythm, how to sleep well, is always a challenge. And I heard some people talk about change your diet, limit your eating pattern somehow can help us with it. So I want to ask you more about it. Yes, definitely,、uh, and I'm also in the same boat.、Um, done a lot of traveling internationally、um, for work, and I've also been interested in how to rapidly shift my my sleep schedule to make sure that I'm alert and on top of my game once I get to the new time zone, and then similarly when I come back. So 
I initially looked through this or uh, saw a few articles on this in 2016, I think. It was an article where they interviewed Cliff Saper at Harvard about uh, ways to um, combat jet lag using your, uh, your diet. And he talked about the food entrainable oscillators or FEO, which represents this secondary master clock, master circadian clock in your body. A lot of people have heard of the predominant circadian clock, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is located in your brain and is most sensitive to light and dark cues. So that master clock is reset by light in the morning. And then when you get dim light at night, it allows your melatonin to rise and helps you fall asleep. This secondary clock, this FEO, uh, is most responsive to feeding and fasting rhythms. Essentially what that looks like is, if you have a long period without eating any food, so a long period of fasting, and it seems like 16 hours is kind of an ideal set point for that. Once you have food and break that fast, it tells your organs in your body that that's your morning time. Our ancient ancestors, if their longest fast uh, during a day would be um, that overnight period. So they'd reset that clock in the morning with the light, but also with some food uh, to make sure that their body is functioning optimally during the day. That's interesting that we actually have different systems in our body to really regulate the circadian rhythm. Yes, yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, a lot of the studies have been done in rodents to really tease out these different signals, and it's quite strong. So if you look at any of the numerous studies out there, you can completely shift their sleep-wake cycle by you know, 12 hours completely as if sending them around the world uh, within two to five days just by changing when you give them food. Wow. So not only the light exposure, just by shifting the food pattern, it can actually change our sleep pattern. Yes, that's what it seems like. Now, the research in humans is much more muddled. The time-restricted eating literature and research is kind of mixed in with the intermittent fasting research. And there's a lot of variability in terms of the results and outcomes in those uh, studies. Part of the reason for that is when we think about our circadian rhythms um, and these body clocks or these clocks that are located in basically every cell of our body, we'll want to align the timing of all of them uh, at a consistent time. So what I mean is that if you're getting light in the morning, you'd also want to make sure that you're getting food in the morning, or at least your circadian morning. Um, that'll then align your metabolism and your cognitive functioning and um, all these processes that fluctuate in our body throughout the day, all aligned at the same time zone. When we start to misalign those, like with jet lag or shift work, it can lead to a lot of uh, short-term 
disruptions, so difficulty sleeping, uh, difficulties performing during the day in our jobs and our relationships, disrupting our mood, but also long-term kind of consequences. So an example of that with shift work would be a greater incidence rate of cancer for shift workers. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering while you're talking about it, if we get up in the morning, get light exposure, uh, get the sunlight into our eyes, but nowadays, you know, we are too busy. A lot of people would skip breakfast. Does that count as some kind of uh, misalignment between light and food? Yes. Yeah, it's a great, great question. And I believe it does. So kind of skipping that breakfast is essentially like offsetting your clocks by, for a lot of people, four or five hours. So if they wake up at 7 or 8 a.m. but don't get their first meal until noon, it's creating this gap, this uh, circadian desynchrony in terms of some of your clocks will start at 7 or 8 a.m., then a lot of your metabolic clocks are going to start at noon. So they'll still be amped up and going when you're trying to fall asleep. And you'll run into similar problems like with the jet lag. So as an example, let's say someone flies from the West Coast to the East Coast, it's going to be very hard to fall asleep. Very common experience. There's also going to be uh, most or a lot of people will find it uh, difficult to be eating at the same schedule. They may not feel hungry at the times dinner time on the East Coast right away because their clocks are still set on the West Coast. So if you kind of think about that in a similar fashion, you would be just offsetting those two major clocks in your current life. <laughs> that that yeah. actually makes sense. That okay. makes sense. I think I like this example. Uh, I'm also thinking about, actually, I'm curious. Let's say the example you just mentioned, when we fly from West Coast to East Coast, there's three hour difference, right? And our our clock got upset. Also, our appetite is, is changed when we land in the East Coast, even though it possibly already at nighttime locally, but it's supposed to be maybe not that late in Western time, then what can we do anything to help us make it more aligned somehow to help with the sleep? Yes. So if you're going to try to use your diet and leveraging your food and trainable oscillators or FEO, and what you can do is you can start a 16-hour fast before you get on the plane, or right when you get on the plane, flight from the West Coast to the East Coast, and then break that fast in the morning um, after you arrive. So let's say you leave the West Coast in the morning. Um, it's a long journey um, over to the East Coast. Uh, you'll arrive in the afternoon, evening. You can have your last meal at around 4 p.m., East Coast time, wherever that is, if that's right before you land or right when you land, and then fast until the morning, until 8 a.m. the next morning, and start your day in your new rhythm at that time, resetting your metabolic systems and the light-dark systems at that time 
can accelerate your ability to get on the new time zone very quickly. Interesting. So that means if we are on the flight, we can still possibly eat at the flight, on flight, and eat when we land, but then we're going to start fasting. Yeah. So that's typically the easiest way to do it in that scenario. And it works great for large uh, distances as well. So flying from the West Coast to um, Asia. Uh, it's a long flight. It's a 16 hour time difference. So if you can fast over that flight and break that fast in the morning time when you arrive, that can help you acclimate to the new time zone very quickly. So there's a little bit of research in humans uh, done on this. The most prominent study that's been referenced is uh, the Argonne jet lag study out of the Argonne lab in Chicago. They basically had military personnel fly from Minneapolis or Minnesota to Seoul and had them practice the 16 hours of fasting on the flight over and then on the flight back for those who chose to do so. And what they found was that those that did the 16-hour fasting had significantly less uh, effects of jet lag, both in terms of the duration of how long those symptoms lasted, as well as the intensity of them. That's so, really good to know. Mm -hmm. What if it's the opposite? Like we get on the flight to Asia and then we arrive at late night. Then when we land, should we eat because we fasted over the whole flight? Or we're supposed to eat, if that way, we're supposed to eat some on the airplane. And then when we land, we should start fasting until morning and start eating local morning. Exactly. Yes. So the easiest way for people is to have their last meal on the plane flight from Asia to the U.S. and have it and kind of this uh, mid-afternoon time, so 3 or 4 p.m. of the arriving time zone. Mm -hmm. And then don't eat anything after that period until the next morning mm. after you arrive. You can oh, drink okay. as much water as you like, which will help, help keep you hydrated, help you uh, sleep better that night. But no caffeine, no alcohol, no snacks. Mm. Cool. So sounds like if we want to use this fasting technique to help us adjust the, the sleep across time zones, possibly the best way to do it is to make sure to calculate somehow we want to start eating at the local morning time. And we possibly should count backwards for maybe 16-ish uh, hours to make that period time, including our sleep time, to not eat. Exactly. Yes. So as an example, a common flight pattern, or it used to be a common flight pattern, <laughs> was from the West Coast, you could take like a 11 p.m. flight or midnight flight, and then arrive in Seoul at 4 or 5 a.m. local time. Uh, the flight time itself would be 11 or 12 hours. So that means is that if you wanted to have your first meal after you land and go through customs, you could have your first meal around 
6 a.m., 7 a.m., and then fast for 16 hours before that. So with a 12-hour flight plus two hours after you land, be 14 hours of fasting, that would mean that you'd start your fast two hours before you'd get onto your flight. Yeah, I think now it's it's more clear to me, but, you know, uh, logically it's more clear to me, but emotionally it's so hard to think about, oh, I won't be able to eat anything on the airplane. <laughs> and especially if I'm taking a really nice, like, Korean plane, they have nice service, nice food. Uh, it's so sad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. You know, the first time I did it, I had a similar thought and feeling. I was like, oh, it's going to be hard to resist the service. And it actually wasn't as hard once I got on, uh, making the commitment beforehand that I was not going to eat, just to try it out. Worked really well. So first time I tried it was flying from San Francisco to Taiwan. Um, and what helped with my motivation was that I had to give a lecture at a hospital the next day. So I really needed to be sharp and adjusted to the new time zone. So I did that and I slept well that night and felt great the next morning. I was able to deliver the talk. Wow. Great mm -hmm. to know. So sounds like you not only are aware of all the research, you even tried it yourself and it actually worked very well for you. So the jet lag does not get you as much when you really stick to this fasting schedule. Yes, yes. Yeah, I definitely had to try it out for myself because it did sound extreme. Like, wow, I don't know if I can do 16 hours. That's, and not eat on the plane, oh no. But um, after doing it, I, I do it in every international flight now, just because it's, the payoff is so noticeable and profound both ways. Okay. So sounds like I have to try it myself also <laughs> <laughs> to experience it because I know clinically, normally, I know for you and for uh, many other providers, we won't recommend any method to our patients and unless we have huge confidence in it. Either there are a lot of research evidence or we actually tried it ourselves. Yes, yeah. There's a lot of exciting new ideas and strategies that come out. And as clinicians, uh, you're totally right. We want to be able to use some of these tools and also make sure that they have some kind of evidence base to them, that they're sound, at least in theory, before we recommend them to any patients to try. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, after you try it yourself, you benefit from it, you start doing it yourself. Have you started recommending this to your patients who are going through similar challenges? And do you share your own experience that it really works for you? Yes, I do. Yeah, so I do uh, recommend that to patients that are flying across multiple time zones and uh, walk through the plan with them as well. And for those that are able to uh, stick with the plan, it works great for them. Uh, so 
Uh, it's definitely been a nice tool to have uh, in clinical practice to be able to share with people. And also because it's so fast, it's a discrete or um, limited, kind of time limited um, strategy that they can try um, with pretty large effect. Hmm. Yeah, really great to know. Especially, I think I can imagine if uh, we have some work plans shortly after or the next day when we land, when we have a conference, when we give a lecture. This is such a good thing to keep in mind. And hopefully the audience who are listening to this, if maybe not this year, but after COVID, if we start traveling again internationally for all kinds of business work, and this kind of idea, this, this research can help people to monitor their own schedule, especially I know a lot of people have sleep difficulties after international trip, which can be severe enough to impact their work, their function. So hopefully this can be really helpful to them. Yes, definitely. Definitely mm-hmm. in that, that realm. It's also worth looking into uh, even during these, uh, these times of staying more local. Mm-hmm. Because there's new research that comes and is coming out that shows, or at least indicates that doing a 16 hour of fasting overnight on a regular basis and making sure to break that fast in the morning can have benefits um, for your overall metabolic health, even without weight loss. So, improving uh, blood glucose levels and heart rate, blood pressure. Um, and sleep quality. Oh, that's interesting. So even we don't travel, just do it regularly. You mean like once a month, uh, those kind of regularly, it just help us readjust our whole um, system? It's a great question. And it's so new. There's not a consensus in terms of how often it would need to be done. If it always has to be 16 hours for everyone, Um, but it does look like in these studies that uh, they've typically had people do the 16 hours of fasting for five weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, continuously, like every day uh, to have these benefits, but it's unknown. Maybe it's only a couple times and then you may only need... 14 hours of fasting on a regular basis or 12 hours or more on a regular basis to maintain that. Oh, yeah, that reminds me some people or some of my friends are talking about skipping dinner or only eat fruit for dinner. And for if it's 16 hour fasting, seems like that's like you only eat breakfast, nice breakfast, nice lunch but basically no dinners, and that's kind of the fasting overnight, right? Yes, yeah. So you would have about eight hours of eating, so 8 to 4 p.m. So it could be a very early dinner that ends around 4. The good thing is that as people go through these types of studies, oftentimes they typically will, as they go through it, feel a reduction in terms of like cravings for food uh, after that at 4 p.m. time and it's not as difficult psychologically for a lot of people than uh, it seems like 
on the outside. Hmm. I see. So, what are some benefits you have read in this new research、uh, coming out about this kind of regular fasting schedule to us, to our health? So, there's a lot of different types of fasting schedules, and kind of a main idea or issue with them is that it's hard to. That if you stick with a fast or any kind of diet, whatever it is, you'll see some benefits on your metabolic health. But it's hard to separate those benefits from weight loss. So if you are doing a like a paleo diet and you lose weight, you're going to see improvements in your metabolic function. If you do a intermittent fasting diet, which is 16 hours of fasting, but at any time that you choose. And you lose weight, you'll see some metabolic、uh, improvements.、Mm. This recent study, which was in 2018, I believe, looked at 16 hours of fasting, but、um, it had to end in the morning.、Uh, so they called it early time-restricted eating, and they strictly maintained the diet. So they're isocaloric, which was you know pretty well. Uh, balanced and then eucaloric, so the same amount of calories. So there was no weight loss.、Um, so you could really、uh, factor that piece out. And these folks still showed the improvements in their metabolic health, which suggests that the timing of that period of fasting is likely more important than the weight loss itself. Hmm. Very interesting research. Really look forward to read more or know more about the updated research with more and more of this information coming out. Thanks for sharing all this with us.、Um, I think it's great to know not only when we travel internationally, we can do something to really help with our sleep, but also even we stay locally, there is something we can consider to really help with our. Um, whole body regulation and eventually can help with sleep. Yes, yeah, it's new and definitely exciting to see、uh, more research come out in this space. Yeah, so we have to invite you back later in the future after more research coming out. After you are doing more research on your own to share more updates with us. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks, Dan, for、uh, sharing with with us all of your knowledge,、uh, all this research, new research results. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I love love what Dr. Blom shared with us, and I definitely plan to try it myself after COVID, of course, possibly next year when I fly around. So, audience, if you plan to try this. Please let me know how does it go. If it really works for you, you have good experience or not so good experience. I would love to hear from you. I want to know this method, how that resonates with you, and how that works out for you. You can find all the resources on our show note at deepintosleep.co/episode/zero-four-three. Again, I very much appreciate all of you listening to this podcast and supporting us. 
If you like our podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends, with your family, and leave us some reviews on Apple Podcast. Thank you for listening to Deep Into Sleep. I'm your host Ishan. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co/insomnia.